Howdy, my friends, and welcome to today's episode of Forte Catholic. I'm so glad that you are here. I know you have a ton of options of what you could be doing right now, watching or listening, and we are glad that you chose to hang out with us for about an hour or uh, 45 minutes if you listen at 1.5 speed or 30 minutes if you listen at double time speed. We welcome everybody here except for the people who listen at half speed to make me sound drunk. I don't like you. Please stop doing that. So... Today's show is with Catherine Whitaker. We talk about uh, how our Lent is going. We talk about that just a little bit. We also, uh, there's this trend been going on on the internet about the Gen Z Bible and Gen Z youth pastors, and one of us likes it a lot. The other one, it makes us cringe so hard that hatred wells up into our hearts, and I don't think that was the goal of those videos. I also share with Catherine a little bit about the best night I ever had at a blackjack table and what I think it has to do with heaven and hell and our spiritual lives. We hope that you enjoy today's episode. If you do, please hit subscribe wherever you are watching or listening. Enjoy. Hello there, and welcome to Forte Catholic. I am Taylor Stroll, and that is Catherine Whitaker. Hello, Catherine. How are you this Lent? Howdy, Taylor. I'm all right. How are you? I feel like Lent. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. I am uh, living Lent both uh, on purpose and it's happening to me. I like Lent on purpose. I like that attitude, <laughs> Taylor. Well, uh, I think the on purpose might be the just accepting the accident, I think is what is happening. <laughs> as we call that in our house, it's called embrace the suck. You just have to embrace it. I thought you were going to say, as we call that in our house, and then name one of your children. <laughs> no. Wow. No, I love my children too much to do that. No, it's like a, it's an A&M term. Like it just embrace the suck. It's easier if you just embrace the hard stuff instead of fighting it. So that's Lent. It sounds like an Aggie saying, because I don't like it. it. <laughs> you don't like any of my sayings, all because they're Aggie stuff. <laughs> I was proud of you. You're doing this thing, this Lenten series, and you kicked it off with a Texas, a Texas grad, a Texas Longhorn grad. I was like, this is, we might need to send you over to the Middle East to solve some of the issues over there. It's okay. Next week's guest is an Aggie, so it all balances out. Yeah. I won't watch that one. It'll be too much. <laughs> it might be. How is your Lent going? So that's a loaded question. Um, I'll, I'll say this. 2021 was the Lent I, that happened just weeks after my dad died, and it was the worst Lent ever. And then in 2022, I think I just, I think I just kind of made it through Lent. But in 23, I went to the Holy Land. And so this year, Taylor feels maybe the healthiest Lent I've had in recent memory, at, at least in a very long time, in the sense that I actually was really looking forward to Lent. Not because I you know, love giving things up or, you know, this, uh, this idea of detachment. But I think I was, sometimes life feels like a lot and Len is your permission to step back. And I don't know, I think I was in a place in my relationship with God that I really wanted, I think, outside pressure to be like, hey, it's okay. It's okay to spend a lot of time with him. It's okay to have hard conversations with people that you love. And it feels healthy. I, I guess that's the best way to describe it is it's the healthiest I've been in a really long time. Is that what you're planning here today? Difficult conversations with people you <laughs> No, love? with someone that I love. No, that has already happened and that is not you. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I was like, it has? <laughs> I, I didn't realize that conversation was so important to you. <laughs> nope, that was not you. That was not you. And it was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, sometimes I think we fear things that we know are going to be difficult. Like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna, 100%. <laughs> well, but I mean, I I think we fear maybe how we're going to react. And what I'm finding, at least in my old age, is that if you just if you just have the conversation, if you just do the hard thing, you might be surprised by God. Not because it's going to be easy, but you're going to be surprised by how you respond. I think when you start to trust more, detach more, the outcome matters less. Because you trust that he's going to take care of that. And I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that like, well, look how enlightened I am. I just think I'm in a place, not always, but some moments I'm in a place that I'm like, okay, all right. I do not want to do this, but 
I'm trusting that Jesus is going to fix this, that Jesus is going to redeem this, heal this, help me see it in a different way. And it's a, it's a really beautiful thing to trust the person that made you. And I think it's taken me a long time to get there. I didn't mean to go so deep, so fast. No, I'm sorry. There's a reason that you did and that you, you're not aware of. It's because I'm literally wrestling with this exact decision right now. <laughs> so I, it, it just cropped up literally yesterday as we're recording this. We're like, I didn't sleep well last night because I'm debating essentially having a difficult conversation with somebody or not. And this popped up around last summer too. Same person, same situation. And uh, the thing I, I, I've had, I think, two conversations with uh, people who are older and wiser than me. And by that, I mean 20 years older than you. <laughs> Thank you. So, I'm not saying that that's usually okay. the way I go for a dig at you and Allison. And that's not what this was. But it's it's this this weird thing where like I usually am not the person to like run from a difficult conversation, but this per uh it's battling two good things. I, I don't feel like I'm just running from this conversation. I made the decision not to have the conversation for some good reasons. And now I'm mm -hmm. not sure if those good reasons outweigh these other reasons. The good reasons are it's been embedded into me that the, the whole respect your elders kind of know your place, know your role, like all those things that like we're taught when we're kids and growing up that are good things. And now it's like, I'm having a problem with somebody who's 50 and I don't feel like it's my place to tell them that they're doing something wrong, but I'm in a situation pretty consistently where this, this person is doing something wrong and they've been, or at least where I think it's wrong. And I think some other people do too, but yeah, whatever where, where it's, but, it, but it's super weird because it's like, they could be my dad, like legitimately age wise, they could be my dad, but it's this weird wrestling of like, somebody needs to talk to them because it's ruining the situation for everybody. But at the same time, it's like, it's not really my place. So it's very interesting that w that's not what we plan to talk about, but it's probably what I needed to talk about. <laughs> well, but I think if we get to a place, Taylor, in our life where we are not open to seeing a perspective that's different than ours or allowing ourselves to be changed, then we stopped being curious. And I think that has really struck home with me these last few years. Like, if I am so unyielding and I don't, I don't mean like, I'm not talking about faith in the sense that like, I know who my Savior is. I know what salvation means. And I know the difference between right and wrong. I understand uh, morality. But I think that what I'm talking about is being open to hearing other people's experiences. And it doesn't necessarily change your stance, but it opens your heart to be empathetic. And it allows you to feel what they feel. Empathy. And I think... I'm grateful that God is giving me the grace to be open, but also to be content and grateful for the place that I'm currently in. And I think it's just been, I don't know, I think sometimes we look at people who are older and think, well, like they know everything. And I think they have wisdom and life experience, but I don't think that we should ever believe that they're not open to change or that they're not, that that possibility doesn't exist. I, I had a conversation with a friend, this has been a few months ago. She was in counseling and she said, yeah, I told my counselor, she was talking about her family and she's like, I mean, they're not going to change. They are who they are. They're in their 70s. And the counselor looked at her and she said, they can change if they want to. She said, one of my clients is in her 80s and she's choosing to come to counseling because she wants to change. She wants oh, wow. to be better. Yeah. And that really struck home with me. I was like, so we don't have to stay the like." Our relationship with God should always be evolving, should always be changing because we're changing. And if it, and if it stagnates, God isn't the one who's stagnant. Uh, that would be us. And so I think it's a lesson in that he is always trying to teach us. We hopefully will be learning all the way straight to the doors of heaven. And that's been, that's been an epiphany of mine. I'm sure it's been around for a while. I'm just now jumping on board, but it's, but it's been perspective that I've gained and I'm really grateful for it. Yeah, I think the the more I think about it and hear you talk about it, it's like I think the decision is either confront this person and my fears there are that one, 
genuinely that they'll because I know this person that they'll be like, actually, screw you, and the problem is you, and then they just list off of all of my faults because they could probably do that too. Like that's a like so the this hope that you feel about these difficult conversations or like I just don't like I I don't like it's almost like I can't picture. Almost any time I'm making a decision, I literally like picture how the sure. outcome of of the four different you know ways this could possibly go, and usually one of them's right. This one, I'm just like I I I don't see a way it's going well. But I'm also wrestling with like the first decision I made. I feel like was the right decision, e- even though now I'm having to address it again nine months later. Like I feel like the right decision was like. I need to grow in humility. I need to be able to bite my tongue in in the room with this person. I need to be able to like it brought up as a story from a few months ago on the podcast, but like sitting behind that crazy, crazy family at mass, it's like I could feel welling up in me just this anxiety and anger. And it's like, that's something that I have to deal with. Right. Like, even if the situation outside of me is wrong, like there's still a huge anxiety and anger that wells up in, in me. So like part of it is like a calling from God to be like, hey relax and chill out and you know maybe some of the stuff you're saying is what i need to just like trust that he'll fix the situation but then also it's like i don't know like i'm now after it happened again i'm like i i don't know if i should say something kind of i i hate thinking and assuming that the outcome is going to be bad and if the outcome is bad then it's going to make every future interaction worse Right. If the if right. the interaction is good, it'll make every future interaction better. Right. But the chances of that happening in my mind, at least right now, is like ten percent. Ninety is the screw you, and then another seventy being, and also let me list all of your flaws for you, Taylor. <laughs> well, I mean, I think two things. I mean, I think you have to lead with love, and that I, I always think like when I have a conversation with someone that's hard, I think there are a lot of people in the world that love this person, like would that that's their favorite person in the world. So I think that helps me take some of my emotion. It's not personal, it's business, right? Like, let's see if we can address this. But the second thing is, Taylor, I think sometimes when we have a hard conversation, we pray the Jesus fix it prayer, like fix it, Jesus. And we have like a certain outcome or a certain desire, like, well, if I have this conversation or I do this thing, then I want this outcome. And the reality is, is that a lot of times things get fixed and it takes a lot longer than we think it's going to. And maybe it doesn't get fixed in the way that we want it to, or maybe we're just one stop on the station, you know, on the journey, like we're we're the next stop. And then someone else is going to say something and it might take a series of people having conversations before it gets resolved. But I think our human nature is that I am sometimes a recovering people pleaser, but I also don't fear confrontation. But the reality is, is that there are going to be some people in the world, as nice as I can be and as all those things, they're still not going to like me. And I have to be at peace with that. And that's on them, not on me. And we all go live our separate lives. Like our goal here is not for everyone to love everyone and just to be all best friends. But I think if you've done the work interiorly, if you spent the time praying, if you have done proper discernment and that you lead from a place of love, how they react is not on you. And the problem is I'm not sure if I've done all that. <laughs> well, <laughs> or if I'm welcome in the place to, to do that right now. Exactly. Exactly. You want to hear some irony in, in this? Two things that we didn't plan. Uh one to, to dive this deep into letting suffering this quickly. But also, I think it this is kind of funny for me. I'm about to go fix a problem that I created. Lent is this season of darkness, and I currently don't have one of my lights on. So half of my face is in darkness, and I feel like I'm two-faced right now. I'm going to go fix that. <laughs> I thought you looked great, Taylor. <laughs> well, it's kind of you to lie like that. I'm no, I didn't, even, I didn't even notice. I thought you looked totally fine. <laughs> I looked like Two-Face, and I noticed it like five minutes ago, but we were on a roll, and I was like, I'm not going to stand up. I'm going to wait until we're done with this. Go turn on the light. Ironically enough, uh, it actually saved the camera, too, because I realized that it wasn't that the light was turned off. It's that the power strip was turned off that the camera's also plugged into. So that oh, would have been rough in That would have been minutes, terrible. So. <laughs> Okay, I want to I want to stick with the Lent uh, Lenten theme, even though the the people in darkness have seen a great light now. <laughs> so I want to talk about the beginning of, of this Lent. I had a great Ash Wednesday. Did your parish have ninety eight thousand masses and services as well? So we had a joint school mass. So there were thirteen 
hundred people in that mass. And, uh, but I got to sit next to one of my favorite people. Her son um, is on the spectrum and John Louise is such a delight. And that was such an unexpected surprise. So it was a good, actually, I don't know if I should share it. I don't, I don't think I can share the story without sobbing. I will say this. I will say there was a, a moment during the ashes distribution that someone that I love received ashes and it took all that I had in me not to just completely break down sobbing in front of, you know, my, my kids and all their friends, but it was a beautiful service. Tell me more. (laughs) No, I can't Taylor. (laughs) It's, it's your makeup looks so good. We wouldn't want to ruin it. (laughs) It's too tender, but I can say this, that sometimes God palpably shows you, he shows up like you can feel his presence and you can see him working right in front of you. And it's really beautiful. That's great. That's all I'm going to say. I I can't, I can't, I can't. (laughs) So, uh, Ash Wednesday, I started, I started off very well. And I, I went into this Lent not knowing what I was going to do for Lent, but knowing that I was going to do something, which is new for the last few years. Like I didn't have the same Lenten experience that you had, you know, it's very different actually over the last few years, but like for years, I I thought I came up with a good joke, but every, every really good joke doesn't just have a sliver of truth to it. It's just the actual truth told with a chuckle because it's the only way you can get through, but it's like Lent, 2020, Lent 2021, and maybe even some of 22 was just like this year for Lent, I'm giving up like that, that, that was it. That was like, I, all the suffering has come to me. I don't need to choose anything else. All I need to do is like the, you know, the Daniel Bedingfield of the world. This is a call out for the eight other people who know this random nineties singer. Got to get through this. Got to get through this. Like that was, that was me for like the last, you know, three or four Lent's. Last year was kind of like a more like normal Lent of like, look, like I'm going to do what the church tells me to do. I'm going to do the fasting and the almsgiving and the praying, but like, I'm not going to like get kind of of the stereotypical, like I'm not going to give up chocolate. I'm not going to give up, you know, social media. Like I, I just want a normal Lent. So I did like the normal Lent thing, but this year is getting started. And I'm like, I would like to give something up or take something on. And I, you know, those are like kind of the two main options and I wasn't sure which one that I wanted to do. And literally the night, like it was probably Ash Wednesday already, like you know, that Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, I was uh, chatting with one of my friends on uh, Instagram DMs. And she was like, I'm leaving social media. And she had decided at like 11 o'clock at night, like I'm leaving like at midnight. And I'm like, what a strange time. <laughs> what a strange time that we live in that like me and this other person who's like a dedicated Catholic, been a practicing Catholic her entire life. We've known each other since we were little babies. And, you know, she's a great Catholic woman. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. And then, uh, are you a Star Wars sequels fan? Like the ones that came out like five, 10 years ago that weren't very good. But I mean, you know, I've seen them. Yeah. So like the, the big moment where, you know, Kylo Ren meets Han Solo as like as adults for the first time, obviously right. they do each other when they're little. But the, right. the first time they see each other, where 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 you know Ben Ben is now, you know uh, Kylo Ren, and he literally looks at his dad. He's like, "I I know what I have to do, but I don't have the strength to do it. Will you help me?" And that was essentially the conversation that I had with my lifelong friend, where she was like, "I know what I have to do, but I don't have the strength to do it." And for her, it was giving up social media. For me, it was just deciding what I was gonna do. <laughs> I, I know what I have to do, but I'm not sure if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? And then literally the next scene, if you know the movie, is Kylo kills his dad, which isn't exactly what we're going for. Well, I was going to say, this is ending badly for you and your friends. <laughs> right, exactly. So uh, we're, we're taking up death for Lent. I think we're, uh, you know, memento, memento mori. mori. But like, even after, like, I, I was happy for her because she she had her decision. And I still like, did this whole like limping into Lent thing of like, I know what I'm doing Wednesday. Like I'm doing the weird meals com- uh, combination thing that we have. I'm doing the no meat. Like I know what I'm doing. And then I know what I'm doing Friday. Cause the church makes me do something. But I was like, I still don't know what I'm going to do for all of Lent. But in my mind, at least I was like, I, I, I have, I have racked my brain. Can't think of anything. And then, uh, you know, I was like, I- I'll have to decide by Thursday because essentially the church has assigned me homework Wednesday and Friday. I need to decide my own homework for the rest of Lent. 
by Thursday. So I go to Ash Wednesday uh, service. It wasn't a mass. And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and the homily, he says nothing about phones or social media or, or nothing. But literally, like, it, it's it, usually it's like the pastor says something and it at least gets me on track for what I'm thinking. He's, he's saying something completely different. And I'm just like, I'm deleting the games on my phone, which doesn't seem like a big deal, which doesn't seem like a big deal. I think it can be. I, I think uh, why it cannot feel like a big deal, at least to me, or maybe from the outside, is I, hear how specific I was. I give up the games on my phone. I didn't give up games. Like, I still have the video game systems on that TV. I still actually have a couple on my iPad. But what I was realizing, I think, leading into Lent, and I don't think it, like, clicked until I was literally sitting in the Ash Wednesday service, is, like, I can't, t- I know now, I had an assumption, but I know now, because we're a couple weeks into Lent, that anytime I'm feeling anxious, anytime I'm feeling strange, anytime I'm I'm frustrated, and literally, Catherine, I will find myself with my phone open and in the folder that has my games. It's like it's my comfort thing. And like The games aren't even that fun on my phone. You know how much more fun the games on my Xbox are? They're incredibly better but for some reason this is it's it's not even that it's entertainment it was literally like escapism right where Mm -hmm. like video games on my tv sure you can say there's some escapism and there probably is a a percentage of it but it's like that's not why i'm going there i'm going there for entertainment but for some reason that just the quick access on the phone it has been a way better like i i decided to do it wednesday i actually deleted them about halfway through thursday because even then i didn't have the strength to do it you know I deleted on Thursday. It's it's I'm having a great let. Like it's it seems like such a dumb thing, but it's like my phone time is down simply because when I open my phone, I am subconsciously go to the games thing. There's nothing there, so I close my phone and move on with my life. I don't I don't I don't get it's I don't get caught in the funnel. I don't get caught in the trap, and it's going well. I'm so happy. <laughs> You know what? The priest um, on Ash Wednesday actually shared this. He said, so if you want to have more prayer time, then how then how is the thing that you're giving up allowing you to do that? So he's like, instead of focusing on, oh, I'm going to give up chocolate, if giving it, what does giving up chocolate allow you to do? And so Here's I think late. it matters. Yep. Okay. Not a, not, <laughs> Lent is not a 40-day weight loss plan. But I think his point was, is that if you give up this thing, then what are you what are you trying to gain in your relationship with Christ? And that, I know maybe we've heard it, but the way that he said it, I was like, it, it was intention. It was intentionality. He was trying to get our kids to think about why are you giving this up and what's what's the what's the bonus? Like what's the what's the end game here? And and that end game should lead you to Jesus. So I think it was the way that he said that. So Taylor, I mean, like by deleting those off your phone, I mean, now you've given yourself space, time, silence, you know, reflection, maybe time with your kids, doing other things that you love that glorify God. So I don't think, I think we focus too much on, oh, well, you know, that's such a lame thing to give up. And instead I'm like, but I mean, if it's fruitful for you and your relationship with God, then I say that's exactly what Lent that that's exactly what this season is meant to do is to help us grow in relationship. And and that looks different for everyone, whether that's giving up sugar in your coffee or, you know, social media or, you know, making people work on Sundays, whatever it is, why are you doing it? Yeah. And it's it's interesting because my original plan, like the plan, like for like a week leading into Ash Wednesday, when I said I was kind of like, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But I was kind of wrestling with stuff. Like my plan was going to be, it's like I'm going to start a Lenten devotional on the Bible app on my phone, and I'm going to. Play, I tried pray. that, and I I failed in January. I was like, clearly yeah. that's not what I should be doing. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I've tried that multiple other Lents, and some for, to to varying success. Some some day some years I did great. Some years, you know, I got through eight days in Lent, which is clearly more than forty. You know, um, I also said like, oh, I'm going to pray at least one liturgy of the hour a day. And that's what I was planning on doing, but there just was something not sitting right with that, which is a weird thing to say about prayer. I understand, but there's something not sitting well about like that being the thing that I do. 
And I think like that's essentially what I went in to Lent as default. And then I didn't do it Wednesday and I hadn't done it Thursday. And I was like, something's off. Something's not connecting. Something's off here. And it was, it was, it was the, I, I needed to go to like kind of the, go a little bit deeper to like the mm-hmm. cause of why I don't do this stuff that I'm supposed to be doing even in not Lent, you know, like praying every day and reading my Bible. Like I was like, there, there are things in the way. And the thing that was in the way was my just proclivity, proclivity to open up that one folder on my phone. And now that folder has nothing in it. Like now it's freeing me up to where I haven't prayed literally hours every day or read a devotional every day, but I've done it more days than I think I would have if that was only my thing that I was doing, which is an interesting kind of back way to, you know, me, me living in my brain and trying to figure out how it works kind of thing. But uh, I think it's working not perfectly, but it's going well and I'm happy about it. So No, I'm private. Well, I mean, if we look at Lent as this is a pass fail, like out of 40 days, I, the thing that I gave up, I gave up 32 days. So therefore this Lent was largely successful because of that. And when we shift away from that, Taylor, and instead say, it, it's sort of like um, it's a graph, right? And so as you start to reduce your screen time, yeah, there's going to be some days that you slip and maybe you play a game or whatever. But it's really about, as the priest reminded us yesterday in Mass, it's like Lent is a series of new beginnings. You know, we begin again today. And so I think when we can see it as, hey, there's going to be some days that the thing that I gave up is going to be really hard for me to give up and I'm going to do the thing. But then the next day or the next moment, I can choose differently. And And it's not that, Len is not lost, you know, and and if Len is sort of our our boot camp and how to develop a relationship with God, well, then what a gift to know that, yeah, I can fail, but then I can also redirect and start over. And now I can start to do that the other 320 days a year because I did it, or at least I started it in these 40 days, you know, that I started the virtues that God is asking me to develop. So it's not pass fail. Like you could still. You can salvage Lent even if you're having a tough time with the thing that you gave up. It's about where's your heart at, I think. I'm no theologian, but good job, Taylor. I'm proud of you. <laughs> I, I'm I no really am. But here's some great theology for you. <laughs> uh, uh, last thing on Lent, and then we'll take a little break and come back. But the, the last thing is uh, whenever, oh, no, this is very actually interesting because I was about to ask you, so when you were growing up, but when you were growing up, you weren't Catholic. So growing up, I don't know if my church, like my particular church was just more hardcore or if I misunderstood, which it's 50, 50 either way at this point, but the whole, like the difference between fasting and abstaining from meat, the Lenten stuff in Friday, I never knew until college that I thought every, I thought Ash Wednesday and every Friday of Lent was both of those things. Did you ever have that understanding? Okay, 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 okay. When when I was first Catholic, I was like, man, they're really serious about this. And I I was kind of bummed. I was like, well, I guess I signed up for this. And then after Scott and I read some more stuff, I was like, wait, I think we can still eat on Friday as long as it's not Good Friday. We just can't eat meat, or at least that's the the suggestion is don't don't eat meat, you know, abstain from that. But I'm with you, Taylor. I thought it was all those things. I was like, man, these Catholics are serious. See, I, I thought I thought I was the only one, I, no. or, or at least in, in the minority. And it's interesting that like I'm a cradle Catholic, you're a convert, and we both had this understanding. And for me, it's like I, I've talked about this at length before, so I won't dive into it. But like, even our fasting is just such pansy fasting. Like, you know, oh, like, for had, sure it is. I had Muslim teammates during Ramadan and they wouldn't drink water and they would run a freaking cross country meet or play a whole game of soccer or go to boxing matches, having not had a water or food in, you know, 12 hours, whatever. Yeah. One meal, two small meals. <laughs> if you're this age, if you're that age, like right. it, it's the, I understand the idea, but I'm like, if we're really fasting, then you need to like really own it but that's that's another podcast for another day but right. you're right it's not it's not as serious as we think all that being said all like that's where i come into this like essentially coming into every friday i'm like we're all pansies so i'm going <laughs> to essentially every even though i know this and i learned it in college and i've been like almost out of out of college for almost as long as before i was in college so you know i sort of think like i still i can't do it so every Friday in Lent, I still 
do the like I'm not getting fat on seafood, which I guess is a clear option that the church gives us. It's like they're like, hey, you can eat as much as you want. Go be a glutton on Friday as long as it's not beef, you know, like but it's it's weird for me because going into it, I'm like. I essentially every Lent my whole life, I've done the fasting and abstaining from meat on Fridays just because like that's how I grew up. But also like every Saturday, I'm like, I have a headache. Why did I not eat yesterday? You know, because like Mm. essentially I'm eating like one meal and trying not to eat any meals, essentially how I'd like to do those days. And I'm like, why am I doing this? So it's just this weird like kind of before and after of like, I think we're pansies. So I do the hard thing and then I do the hard thing. I'm like, but nobody made me do that. Why did I do that? (laughs) So I don't know. Part of me every Saturday and Sunday is like, why didn't I get fed off a shrimp fettuccine on Friday? So I don't know. It's where I am though. The only day that I'm ever really hungry is on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. On the day that you tell me that I can't eat. There are many days, Taylor, that I forget to eat lunch. Like I'll, I'll look up and I'm like, oh, it's 11. I should have eaten breakfast or whatever. And it doesn't even dawn on me. But those two days, the days that the church is like, you must fast. I'm like 7.03 in the morning. I'm like, um, is anybody else hungry? It's always right. like yeah, that yeah, every yeah. year. Yeah, absolutely. Every year. Absolutely. They call it fasting because it feels like it goes by so slow. All right, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Our YouTube channel is popping these days. We've got over 2,000 subscribers. We just had our 600,000th view over there. If you've not subscribed yet or checked out the channel, you can do so at youtube.com slash Forte Catholic or just type in Forte Catholic YouTube in your Google machine and it will work. I said Google machine, but it might have sounded like Google machine. I hope you don't have one of those because I don't know what it is. So over on our YouTube channel, not only do we have the full episodes of this show, we also have uh, Allison Sullivan's Sinner Saint Sister podcast. It's in the middle of her newest season right now. I'm really enjoying those episodes. We've also got videos like I did an introduction to Lent. We've got our Stations of the Cross video. We've got a few Lenten things as well. So if you're looking for something else to do during this Lenten season, go check out our YouTube uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Forte Catholic, whether to check out the Lenten specific videos or to add to your suffering and time out of purgatory by watching some of our videos. Enjoy. Welcome back to Forte Catholic. I am Taylor Stroll, and that is still Catherine Whitaker. Catherine, we have a disagreement over something that that I think is very important for us to discuss. We have a disagreement every time I'm on the podcast, Taylor. (laughs) Usually it's about sports. This is not the time. This is not the time for that. We're having a sports-free episode. (laughs) Uh, We're we're giving the people a break. During this Lent, you know, we take breaks from things. We're giving the people a break from football because we're both very sad that it's gone. Oh, we are sad. But... You went, you were, you're staying hip and cool by hanging out with the teenagers. You, you, you own some teenagers. You help out with some teenagers I at the own church. some teenagers. I made you some do. teenagers. Yeah. You did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you, you made babies and then they turned into something that you couldn't control. Fair. That was called teenagers. Fair. Yeah. That's uh, so fair. But you know, you, you've been posting these, you know, it, it's, it's fun to watch you parent at this age. Cause everybody talks about how hard it is. And I'm not saying that it's not hard for you, but you're making it look fun at least. <laughs> so good for you. You're like, Hey, you know, this, this kid's doing great at Chick-fil-A and we're going to this thing for this kid. And this kid's doing this thing. Like, so at least on Instagram, you're making, you're, you're making I'm selling parenting it. the teenagers like look pretty good when everybody's like, Oh, it's the worst. And I'm like, shut up and leave me alone. So you're doing great. You're, you're on, you're you. on my team. But you went to one of these uh, these youth conference things, uh, this this uh, DCYC thing, and you came back with something that you were like, you sent it to me, and you're like, Taylor, you're going to love this. And I'm like, I actually despise it. So <laughs> set this up for us. <laughs> okay, well, let me explain. Okay, yeah. So one of our speakers, before he started his talk, said, hey, a friend of mine sent me this Gen Z Bible, and I want to read the passage, basically, of the Annunciation. And so, but instead of him reading it as a 30-something, guy, priest, actually, he said, I I need someone in the audience who's like really good at speaking. And actually, you know her. So I, she, I do know her, which is why I'm conflicted about this video, because this yeah. young lady goes to the school that I coach at. She's I've adorable. known her since she was a little baby, but that still doesn't change the fact that I don't like what uh, she was made to do on this stage. No, so she gets up, and so he's like, no, nah, I need you to sell it. And so basically, he reads this enunciation, but in Gen Z lingo. And she totally sold it. I mean, everyone was just, like, cheering. It was amazing. 
So I think if I had just read it, I would have been like, this is trash. I can't believe this. But when she read it and I saw their reaction to it, I thought, well, if that's the carrot that we dangle, that that's still, you know, theologically correct. But if we dangle that carrot, then maybe they might say, hey, I would actually like to read like the actual text, you know, from the Annunciation and read what it actually says. So I'm a fan of you have to meet teenagers where they are, and then you have to lead them to where you want them to be. And so if this is where we're going to meet them where they are and then lead them to the Gospels, then I'm all for it. I think it's absolutely hilarious, mostly because all those words are set at my kitchen table almost every night at dinner. So it was <laughs> even funnier. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I take it all back. Life for teenagers sounds like it sucks now. <laughs> listen, and I try to use the lingo and they look at me and they're like, mom. And I'm like, no, yeah, I can't. use that right. Can't do it. I know I did, but you, it's because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't but matter. But I'm trying, Taylor. Right. So well, here's what we're going to do. I, and, and you're stacking the deck a little against me, which I appreciate. Uh, You're welcome. Because I, I, I am holding back uh, a lot of my judgment until the end. Because I think I think my argument will make more sense after we've played all. Uh, we have two videos. One that's exactly what you're talking about, and we're going to play that now. Recently, I did hear about a new translation out called the Gen Z Bible, where someone had taken the scriptures and translated it into Gen Z language. Now I'm going to read part of this. I do want to let you know I would never dishonor God's word. I have triple checked this to make sure this is exactly what Luke 1 communicates when the angel talks to Mary. Check this out. Mary was a pick-me girl for God and was simping for him in prayer when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, Ayo, you're a real one and the top G is feeling you. But she thought his compliment was sus and gave him the side eye. So he said, so he said, baby girl, chill. God sent me to tell you, you've passed his vibe check. And low key, he wants you to have the main character. You'd name him Jesus and they will all say, he's him. She said, how can this be since I promised him my body count will always be zero? Why? Respectfully. Respectfully. He said, this ain't about cuffing season, for the Holy Spirit will live rent-free in you, and your boy Jesus will be a divine bro. Beside, your cousin Elizabeth is with child, she who is already older than a boomer, and whose husband is way past beekeeping age. So Mary said, bet. Gabriel left her on red, and she let the Holy Spirit cook. I hate it so much. I I I laugh every time I hear it. I love it so much. Baby girl, chill. I mean, it's so, it's so on brand for Jim Z. It's the boomer comment that gets me every time, though. Yeah. But it, it's uh, older than a boomer. We don't even know what that older, is. Older than a, a boomer. We don't, we don't have past a term beekeeping for that. Age. <laughs> yeah, past beekeeping age. Oh my gosh. I I think that it gets our kids engaged, Taylor, and I think it gives them perspective on what's actually happening and then when they read the gospel and maybe they fall in love with Jesus i think it's i think it's good i don't i wouldn't use it as like you should buy every teenager in your life a gen z bible but i think when taken context like pull that out and read that to them i, I think it makes them feel seen so here's here's the thing, and we're gonna we're gonna play another video that I think will be emblematic of a, a way that this can be used that I like. This is not a way that this is being used that I like. I, uh, I my my disrespectful alarms start going off. That's fair. Uh, when it comes to scripture, especially when it comes to a scripture like the Annunciation, like this is the moment where God becomes man. Like this is it's kind of a big deal, right? So. I've worked in youth ministry a long time, and at the beginning of my time in youth ministry, I didn't talk like them. They talked like me because that's how age works. Like I was 21, and the kids that are 13 are a few years behind the people who are like 18 to 21, 22. Like the trendsetters are the late, late high school, college kids, and then the other kids are kind of following along. So there, I had that time, and that time only lasted for like two years. Where I was going like to say they, the sweet spot doesn't last very long, Taylor. It, it doesn't. And then there's a time where like I can I could talk like them, maybe another three or four years where I could talk like them, and they're teaching me some words. But like 
I can use it in conversation. And they're not like rolling their eyes and going crazy. And then I lost my hair. <laughs> and like, like you just can't, you just, you can't even like try because like, some people have the self-awareness to know that it's cringe and every now and then to say it, knowing that you're cringe is actually funny yeah. and they appreciate that. There's also this self-awareness thing that a lot of people in youth ministry don't have where they, they, they don't know them. They don't know when they've crossed the line between cringe and cringe on purpose. So you have to be a little self-deprecating like, Hey, I'm going to use this word and I know right. it's correct, but I'm going to say it because I know that it just annoys you. Like that's right. such a dad thing to do. Right. Yeah. Right. So and and like stuff like that can endear you to them and that sort of thing. Like, okay, I, I, I get that. But there was never a time, like, like obviously Gen Z is the new thing, but there was never a time, I, I guess maybe, there, there have been times where I've told Bible stories in colloquial language, which is essentially what this is. I just don't, I just happen not to be an old geezer and not like the colloquial, colloquial language. But even then, it wasn't like a completely different language, which is what this is. <laughs> like, I know it's English, but it's a different language, right? You're making but, yourself like, sound old, Taylor. I understand. I understand. I'm bald and gray. I understand. I understand how this is coming. I have the self-awareness to know how this is coming off. But like, e even when I was using language that I thought was cool or was cool 10, 15 years ago, when I first started in ministry, I, I would have never done this. I would have never done like the enunciation in millennial language. Like there's just something about like my respect for scripture that this actually bothers me. Where like using this kind of language with teens, like I'm literally thinking of a youth night. Like I would use this kind of language again, not the Gen Z language, but like the cool hip language from 10, 15 years ago. I would use it while we're playing ping pong before I would use it uh, maybe in the announcements. I would use it maybe, maybe in part of the talk, but like for me, once I would start reading scripture, like I'm reading the new American Bible version, which I understand is modern language. Like, you know, somebody who only reads Latin is like that modern English. Rah, rah, rah. Okay. that's not what I'm talking about, but it's like, I don't know. There's just something elevated about scripture that it kind of bothers me whenever the whole thing is read in like for a laugh when there are funny Bible stories, the Annunciation's not one of them. <laughs> you know? Well, I'll be, I'll be clear. I think that this should always be used in conjunction with the actual scripture. So when we read this at DCYC, yes, we read this part, but then the priest also read the scripture. So I think it, it bridges for, for me, it bridged, Hey, I'm going to meet you where you are, but this is really the scripture. This is what we're, this is where we're coming from. And this is where I want to start. So I, I agree with you to an extent, Taylor. I mean, I'm, I'm a scripture girl. It's the way that I grew up, I grew up in the Nazarene church um, and one of many churches that I was in, but that was the place that really taught me a love of scripture. So I have a real respect and reverence for it. So I think that the context in which this was shared um, is important. Like I would never, I would be greatly offended if this was ever spoken from the Ambo in a church next to the tabernacle. Like that would be that would not be okay. But if you're at a youth night or at a youth rally and you're trying to connect with kids and then you also pair it with the actual scripture, context matters. So that's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Uh, let me play this example because this example to me is way more cringe, way more cringe, but I like it better. And I, th I think it accomplishes the same goal. And it's more of a youth night kind of kind of vibe. Like you'll actually hear it. There's some pretty stereotypical youth ministry things. Like he's talking, and then two seconds later, a keyboard starts playing pads behind. Like it's funny, but this one doesn't bother me near as much as the other one. And uh, I hope that you enjoy it. One thing about him is he's standing on business. He's standing on big business. He's not in his abandonment era. He's in his forgiveness era. In his grace era, redemption era, so that you may be in your reborn era. Let him cook. Let him cook. Not the grind. It's giving healing. It's giving she needed that. He really just showed up and ate us all up.
Beautiful. Just be- just beautiful. <laughs> you really need to watch that on the video because it's the hands in the pockets for me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the the head nod and the hands in the pockets. That was literally every youth minister I had growing up right there. It was awesome. It's funny. Yeah. It's super cringe, but it's very funny. Like everybody that's been in youth ministry has been that guy. Again, I haven't done it with Gen Z language because I've been out of youth ministry like God since Gen Z language got in. But like we've all we've all done something like this. And he's got he's wearing all black, and immediately, of course, two seconds in, the pads start playing behind. And yeah. it it works. It works. It absolutely helps. And everybody makes fun of it, but it absolutely helps the moment. It helps people dive into prayer. We're about to transition into worship, or you know, if you're a Catholic, transition into a time of adoration. Like it it works. And I love it. And I and in so for me, this like the, the almost the first argument that you made for this, this is doing that, and it doesn't bother me at all. Where he's like, "Let's meet these kids where they are. They they would absolutely love this. Like especially because I would imagine he actually talked like this for the other twenty minutes of the talk beforehand. So like, even in the transition to to prayer, like saying something like this, kids in a youth group know that like it's okay to do a little smile laugh." but we're not barrel, barrel laughing, you know, belly laughing at this point. Like it's like, it's, it's helping with the, like, you know, the kind of the levity of God, like and we're about to lead into a pray, pray, time of prayer. where like, he's big, but he's also here for you. Like it does all that for me in a minute. And none of my red flags go up of like, this is terrible or bad. Right. Like, like this is actually, like, I would imagine this is happening in 30% of churches across the nation. Like this one more than 30%. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it's, um, I think a lot of it depends on who's delivering it, the context, who's receiving it. So I think all those things matter. And and I appreciate that maybe you like one method over the other. That's fine. I think they're both fine, but I can appreciate, again, why someone might hear the first one and be like, eh, it's not really my thing. I get it. No gracias. No gracias. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of of uh, youth ministry things and uh, some modern things, I'm going to try to make a youth ministry point out of a modern event that I went to here recently. Have you ever been to a casino night? Like, uh, not not yeah. a casino, but like at a at a church or a fundraiser yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Are you a gambling fan? Like, do you like going to casinos? Do you like going to casino nights? I mean, Scott's really good at it. That's my husband. I only like gambling. When I was when I turned twenty one, my grandfather his trip was to take us to Vegas, so I went with like my seventy five year old grandfather when I was twenty one. <laughs> but I'm not a huge like gamb- gambling's not really my thing. But I I'm not opposed to it. Like I have fun. I I know how to play blackjack, decent at the craps table, but it's fun. Yeah, I love gambling, and that's not a secret to anybody who listens <laughs> to the show. But I also live in Texas where. Gambling is legal. Now, now, Taylor, how do you talk about sports gambling all the time? Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> I figured it out. <laughs> but <laughs> but we don't have casinos. Like, we, we don't have, like, I play in a poker league once a month. Like, all this stuff is stuff that well, I Well, we just about. have like, the lottery. I, that's all we have is the Texas yeah, yeah, lottery. I mean, there's yeah, no gambling in Texas. That's, yeah. that's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> no gambling in Texas unless it's paying for our roads, you know. Right. Which is dumb because that's what all gambling does. Anyway, I'll get off my gambling soapbox. But because we're in like, we live like right in the middle of Texas and it's going any direction out of Texas takes hours. But the other states are at least smart and they put casinos literally right on the border. So like, right. Anytime you cross into Oklahoma, there's an Indian reservation with with a casino. Louisiana. Go to Louisiana. You've got one in the water that separates the bridge you go over from Texas to Louisiana. There's one in that water where they're like, you know. Where the casino's like, I'm not touching you to Texas, but they're right I'm there. Not you know? touching you. You're like Nemo. <laughs> I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. So because I love gambling, but I don't get to do it often, uh, except when I go visit a priest in Pittsburgh this summer, I was thrilled to be going back to the casino with him. But this casino night came up and it wasn't like a church fundraiser. It actually ended up being like a like a, a normal secular people fundraiser, which I don't go to often, but my sister invited me. And so uh, her and her husband and me and my wife went to the, this casino night. It ended up being a fundraiser for um, uh, high school kids scholarships, which like, great. Like I work with, you know, this is, this is perfect. Right. 
we, we actually play sports against some of these kids. So now I'm funding the enemy, but you know, whatever, you know, I, I, that's my loving your enemy era that I guess I was in that week. So we went to this casino night. Uh, I'm actually really glad you brought up blackjack because if you go to a casino and you're playing blackjack, do you have any idea like the, the odds of, of you winning a hand in blackjack? Oh, the dealer always wins. Mm-hmm. The, the odds have to be low. Otherwise they wouldn't have it in the casino. They got to make money. Right. So blackjack is one of the highest blackjack. Uh, the house wins about if you play it correctly. And that's the big thing is most people don't know how to play it correctly. If you play it correctly, if you know exactly what you're supposed to do in every situation, you will win 47% of the time. The house wins 53% of the time. So like, you know, it doesn't seem like a lot, but over the court, better you know, than craps though. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Better than, uh, you know, pulling a, a lever, you know, like it's actually one of the higher this. things, but it's still designed for you to lose. And I, I think I've told, said this before. The first time I walked to the casino, I, I called my dad. He said, 10 minutes before you gamble any, any money, walk around for 10 minutes and ask yourself how they made all this money. <laughs> Cause the casinos look incredible. You know? So right. uh, that's good advice. Yeah, it's stacked against you. It's stacked against you. So we went to this casino night, and e- like I-, I would say, I'm a good blackjack player. I I, I know what I'm doing, but I uh, there's there's some certain iffy calls that still I might do the wrong the quote unquote wrong thing by the book. Like I'm learning, but I- I'm good to pretty good, but I'm not great, but I'm not terrible. So if I go to the casino, like I'll probably win. I don't know, fifty percent of the time, you know maybe over the course of an hour, I went from a hundred bucks to 120 or to 60, you know, like, but I'm not going to lose it all in two hands. It's essentially kind of the blackjack player I am, but I don't play the other games. Like, uh, like roulette is similar kind of thing. It's right under, right under 40%. But every, the way that they win is that even if you have like, if you, if you choose just black or red on roulette, you have like a 48% chance, 47% right. chance. Cause there's the 50, two 50. greens. Right. There's yeah, there's the two greens, which makes it a little less than 50, but, it's right around 50-50. But the way that they they get you is how they pay out. So it's never a one-to-one payout. So anyway, that's that's how they're they're making all their money. But all that being said, all of the like the casino is built to win. You are built to lose. Like, so there's two choices. You win money, you lose money, right? Here here at the casino. But it's built for the casino to win. But we went to this casino night where the blackjack dealer that we had was either generous or stupid. <laughs> maybe Let's go with both. generous. Let's maybe go with generous. Uh, I sat there for a while. It could have been a little bit of both. <laughs> it's Lent. Taylor, be nice. It's, he's generous. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, so it, it was a, sh- a she. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. She was generous. How dare you assume her gender? <laughs> uh, okay. So I started the night playing roulette because roulette's my favorite game to play i love playing roulette i have a little strategy for roulette that anyway whatever i started with um ten thousand chips in it's it's fake you pay 20 about 20 dollars and you get ten thousand dollars because if you had ten thousand dollars you should not have been at a church <laughs> not gambling it taylor yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely uh that, that's exactly where i would have been no, I'm so uh, good thing i've never had ten thousand dollars okay so I started out the roulette table and I got down. I'm playing this thing where like the odds are you have to win at some point is essentially how I play. I'm not going to explain the whole thing, but it, it's, it's a way to kind of nickel and dime and then hopefully hit big. And that's essentially how you could walk away a winner, but also not a huge risk. Anyway, that's, that's how I play roulette. I'm over there for a while. I get down to like 3000 chips pretty quickly. Like we're at this casino night for hours and I'm about to be out of chips. And then finally, when I have like literally almost all my chips are like out on the board. Like I have chips technically, but they're not in my hands because they're out on the board. I finally hit literally on that one. I ended up getting essentially all my money back. You know, I had like 9,000, 10,000 chips when I left and I went and found my wife and my sister and they were playing blackjack. I sat down at this table and very quickly made a, a couple of assessments. And then over the course of the next like two and a half hours, cause I wasn't going to leave this table once I figured out what's going on pretty quickly assessed. She doesn't know what she's doing. (laughs) This dealer doesn't know what she's doing. And if the dealer doesn't know what she's doing, it take, it starts to take away 
this 53-47 split that the, that the house is supposed to have. If she so basically you took doing, you took advantage of the dealer. That's what you're I, saying. Abso- absolutely. <laughs> and without having to do anything on my own at the beginning, and then I started playing... Uh, I, I can be persuasive with words. I started dropping some verbiage and some hints and some words. And uh, let's just say when I first sat down at the table, I had like a 60% chance of winning. And by the time that I left, I could pretty much not lose. (laughs) I had like a 90% chance of winning because she was doing, you've played blackjack before. So if you win a hand in blackjack, if you bet $10, how much money do you win? If you win a hand in blackjack. Taylor, don't ask me that. It's been a year. I don't know, twenty bucks. Oh uh, no, no, it's ten. It's ten. So it's 10. okay. If uh, it's it's one, it's one to one, one to one. one, to one. So if okay. You, you bet ten dollars, and the dealer has seventeen, and you have eighteen. You win ten dollars. If you lose, they take away your ten dollars. So you know, pretty pretty simple kind of idea here, right? But if you hit blackjack. Most casinos, it's 1.5 to 1. So if you hit like literally blackjack, where like you get a an ace and a face card as your first two cards, it'll pay one and a half. Some places they're really generous and they do two to one. So you'd either win 15 or $20. And that's a great way to kind of build up your bank, right? You, you essentially didn't have to hit. You didn't have to make a decision. You just won the money. Fantastic. Great. If you lose, they they rake your money. And if you win, they give you your money. Great. That's essentially how it's supposed to work. Well, uh, it says Blackjack pays two to one on the table. It literally says on the table. Which means that they're being the generous version. Where if you hit Blackjack, an ace and a face card, you you get two to one. So if I bet 10, I'd get 20. Well, she, she thought that meant the game paid two to one like blackjack the game (laughs) paid two to one so if i got 21 at any at any point if i if i had if i started with eight and hit and hit and hit and hit and somehow got 21 with seven cards paid out two to one fantastic so now i'm doing some mental math in my head i'm like okay now i think this kind of this little thing starts to shift the the house's favor from like 53% to where now I'm in favor, probably winning about 60% of my hands. Okay. And then I start realizing she's lost, exhausted, and I think overwhelmed. I think she had a long day. Just the look at this. Well, yeah, because young- you showed up and started <laughs> taking all her money, Taylor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, story on that later. Yeah, this is great. So she also stops raking, meaning when I lose, She's forgetting to take my money. And she's not oh, just doing it for me. She's doing Taylor. it for the whole table. So I'm betting. So Catherine, if I had, let's just say I'd been betting 10. So you this can't whole time. lose. You're 100% I now. I can't lose. Now she's remembering to rake every now and then. Every now and then she'd take my money. So I show up at the table betting, you know, the equivalent of 10 bucks, right? Like I'm betting, I'm betting one basic chip. Once I, 30 minutes in when I realize what's happening, I'm I'm betting a third of my chips every time because she's not taking them. I can't lose. And then like the, let's say she remembers to rake my money on my eighth loss. I, I've just doubled, if not tripled my money. Every say, hand. Did, <laughs> did you walk out of this place with like a hundred thousand chips or something, Taylor? That's child's play. Catherine. <laughs> my gosh, Taylor. Almost you doubled. Totally that. took right, advantage of her. Right under $200,000 in chips. Stop it. So, so I let for, you know, just your wife you, is like, what is happening right now? Oh, it was great. And then, so all of that's just her. And then by the end, I'm saying like, so now I'm betting like a hundred thousand chips at a time. And then I hit actual blackjack. And then I convinced oh her, God. I was like, actual blackjack pays more. So she started paying me more because at the beginning I mentioned the two to one blackjack. I was like, well, you're paying two to one for every other win. So when I get blackjack, you need to pay me more. Did you make her pay you three to one? Absolutely. And oh my. It, got to, it got to be 
me so much, Catherine. I was throwing so much chips out there that she couldn't do the math fast enough because we're talking hundreds of thousands. If not, you know, uh, she couldn't do it. She just started throwing me the big chips. The guy who runs this casino company is a friend of mine. I, 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 his two daughters I coached whenever they were at St. Joe's. I had to go find him to help out this little girl, but it was really helping me. I had to go find her more chips because we took them all. We took Taylor. everything the house had. And I so had did to the go James find Bond her. girl start showing up and bringing yeah. the martinis? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was having a great night. Oh, man. I, I, I just wish that when I go to the casino with Father Anthony this summer, that I could 20 times my money. Yeah. <laughs> Don't lull yourself into the, uh, that's not going to happen. Oh, if it was a real casino, I would have been taken out back and shot. It was insane. It was insane. You would you would not have been playing blackjack with the regular people, Taylor. Right. You would have been playing blackjack in the back room where no one else sees you. I would have been playing roulette with the Russians, if you understand <laughs> my, my meaning here. So, I do. Yeah. Uh, it was a blast. I had so much fun. We had, we the drink as you mentioned, the drinks kept flowing because why have a sound mind when you can't listen? <laughs> so this got me thinking, and here's my my version of. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to use Gen Z terms. Your abandonment like, era, yeah. What what my, was your enlightenment era? era? Yeah, this is my your enlightenment era. era. Usually, I have to do show prep, and I have to think about these things after the fact. Literally, while I'm sitting at that table. Literally, while I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh man, I can absolutely connect this to our spiritual lives. <laughs> here's what's happening, blackjack. Let's just say it's about 50-50. There are two choices. You win money, you lose money. It might be a little bit, a little bit slightly favored towards the house, but you know, let's just say it's 50-50. In our spiritual lives, we have a 50-50 shot to where we end up. Uh, I once took a, uh, uh, an exam in grad school about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell, and I couldn't remember death and judgment. Just could not remember them for the life of me. I was like, you know, 22 years old, could not remember two of the four last things. So I went in there with all the confidence in the world. It was, it was an oral exam. And I convinced the teacher that my opinion is that there are actually only two last things because after death and judgment have happened, there are only two heaven and hell. So ultimately we only have, I, I, I got an A on the test, by the way, I'm good with words. If you haven't picked that up <laughs> by one, listening to a podcast that's been going on for eight years Two, I talked my way into 20 times my money at the casino night. And I got an A on a test about the four last things where I only knew two of them. I'm pretty good at talking my way out of things that that's not the point. The point is there's two ultimate ends for us. Heaven or hell? Sure, purgatory is on the way, but ultimately there's only two. And I think when we are born, we have a 50-50 shot. I, that, that's, that's again, you said earlier, I'm not a theologian, but we're going to talk about some theology here for a second. We have essentially a 50-50 shot. We can go to hell or we can go to heaven. Like, that's, that, that's our choices. But then God stacks the deck a little bit in our favor by putting, uh, you know, his image in us. So I would like to say that uh, I started thinking, okay. The house is advantage of 53-47. We're born maybe with a 50-50 ch chance, uh, but might be skewed a little to us because God's image is with us. And then we get baptized. And I think that probably puts it towards the 60-65% uh, because, you know, we've all known people that have baptized that could walk away, but, you know, we start them off the right way. And then God gives us these things called the sacraments and the grace that we receive through them. And it gives us the scriptures in, in real human English language, uh, not in that stupid other language, but like he gives us all these things. He gives us the scriptures. He gives us the church. He gives us the community. He gives us sacraments where if you just participate, if you just participate in those things, which all I was doing was at the table was participating. I wasn't doing anything incredible. I wasn't doing anything terrible, but it was just stacked so much in my favor that I was like, this is, I think, how God is with, with practicing Christians when it comes to heaven. It's like he has stacked the deck so much for us that like, can we choose to walk away? Can we choose hell? Absolutely. We can choose that. But... He has stacked the deck for us so much 
that I don't think for practicing Catholics, it's a 50-50 proposition anymore. I think it's probably closer to 80, 85, 90. Uh, so that's literally what I was thinking about after a few pops and uh, 20 times my money at the, at the casino night. What do you think? Well, I actually think that it's 100% and we're the ones that lower the odds. I actually think that God's desire is for us to be with him forever. And we have all the things. We have access to all the things. And we're the ones that lower our chances. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree with you. and Because I, I, I think it's, yeah. it's free will, right? Where yes. our free will is also a 50-50. We can say yes or we can say no. But I think he's, he's stacked it so much in our favor that at some point for us, it isn't a 50-50 with our free will. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, we can we can go from you're definitely going to hell to you know what, kid, you got a chance at heaven because we have a merciful God. So I'm grateful that God doesn't work in odds. Like he's like, well, last week right. you were kind of around the forty mark, and this week, you know, like the uh, report cards that I get from my middle schooler, I'm like, how many classes are we failing right now? You know, like I don't think God <laughs> looks at us like that. I think instead he's like, I believe in you, and um you know, the mercy's always there. So thank goodness God doesn't work on Vegas odds. <laughs> That's yeah, a good absolutely, thing. <laughs> absolutely. He is he is working for the house and stacking the house, but that house is heaven and he is stacking yes. it for, uh, for our good, for yeah. our favor. So yeah. uh, Catherine, that's our show. Not necessarily the show that we thought we were going to have, but a great one nonetheless. I really enjoyed our conversations, both Thanks, the ones man. we planned and the ones that we didn't. So this is great. It was good. It never goes the way we have a bunch of stuff written down, and <laughs> we hardly ever great, talk about and it. You paused and said it was good. Dang, Catherine! <laughs> well, no, maybe I'm just this saying was this difficult conversation you weren't looking forward to. <laughs> no, I'm just saying we always have plans to talk about things, and then we get derailed onto what God wants us to talk about every single time. Yeah, still not sure what I'm going to do with that old guy. It's frustrating me, but uh, y'all pray for me, and maybe I'll figure it out over the course of the next week or two. So. <laughs> You'll figure it out. All right. Well, that's our show. I'm Taylor Stroll. I'll be back next week. That's Catherine Whitaker. She'll be back in a month. Until then, say it. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We always appreciate it, especially you who stayed this far and are still watching and listening. You are my favorite person alive. If you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed, I can't stand you. Please subscribe so that our relationship may be fixed. I hope that y'all have a great week. And until next time, love you.